0: Good morning, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Morning Guilt. It is the going? 20th of July. 20th of July. Tuesday morning. Is it? And,
1: um, yes, it is a Tuesday. Jesus. That's actually weird that it's a Tuesday. Why is that? Oh, I got drunk on Sunday. So so my week schedule is all kind of fucked up because Monday ended up feeling like Sunday. Yeah. And now I'm on Monday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's tuesday (laughs) what do you do when you're in these like (coughs) conundrums of displaced time because now i have to fast forward like you know one day to catch up to the rest of everyone else
0: i think you just um accept reality and do nothing (laughs) 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 just wake the fuck up
1: yeah shit fuck fair enough yeah so it's a tuesday we're already through july uh yeah. the gene crowd continues to relentlessly pump hgen as was yeah. their uh purpose for being put on this planet <laughs> <Just> apparently relentlessly
0: <laughs> adding janet woodcock from the fda on
1: twitter <laughs> have you not approved lenzilobab yet
0: <laughs> we need it now <laughs>
1: <laughs> how do you have that much energy eh? i don't fucking yeah. get it man it's so relentless like those there's nothing like fin twitter to just Pump. Shit. Yeah, it's pretty so good. Mentally ill. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I actually went through a pretty like intense stage of pumping. I I think I told you about it like offline. Yeah. And like my wife said to me like at one point, like, Oh, like, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, just writing a tweet. And she's like, What do you even tweet about? Like, because she just like has no like yeah uh, no window into my online self, so <laughs> I, I was like, oh well, that's a good question. Uh, let me check my profile, and then I, I showed her my profile, and she was like scrolling through it, or I was just like reading my tweets, and it was just like pathetic how much of it was about <laughs> HGN. <laughs> and I basically seemed like some sort of Russian bot trying to like manipulate the market or something.
1: Yeah. But yeah, like there's going to be one tweet that just like sends it fucking 300%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: but I've, yeah, man, I, I pretty much gave up. I'm just passively participating now mm. just because I don't think I have like the emotional resilience to, to, to maintain that level of intensity on Twitter. Um, no, yeah,
1: same. I, I just can't, Yeah, you know, I just Until just something happens,
0: in which case I'll, like, revert back immediately to just constantly spamming. Just like, yeah, <laughs> we fucking knew it all along,
1: I fucking guys. Fucking told you. Yeah. Told you <laughs> fucking can't
0: <guns. laughs> see. Exactly. Um, which there's no shame in uh, if you don't feel it. Uh, which no. I, which I won't. There's not any
1: shame. Hmm.
0: So the market just took a big shit today. Uh, yeah. So that's good. It's pretty brutal. I cool. think... Yeah, I think we've gone through like a 4% correction or something.
1: Yeah. But they're talking about the same things over here. Um, you know, so it's not going to be surprising to me.
0: Ooh. I guess. Just
1: uh, check
0: though, futures are green, which is nice. Are they?
1: Mhm. Yeah, it could be could be a bull trap, you know, before the um, before the correction. I just people are going to keep freaking about inflation until something happens, you know. I just feel like this is just this big cock tease and everybody's just waiting for the skin on skin action or just metaphor going <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah okay but they're get not you. getting it yeah yeah so um until it happens i just think like the anticipation is gonna fucking mm. melt down the entire market hand job mm. scenario that we have going mm-hmm. so you know more I just corrections hope someone as my, gets to finish my... yeah <laughs> well fuck right <laughs> yeah it's a nightmare um Anyway, yeah, that all sucks. Have you got a take on it on what's happening? I feel it's I feel like it's all just inflation, COVID shit. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, like Jay Powell spoke on was it Thursday last week or Friday? I think it was our Friday, US Thursday. Inflation's worse than they anticipated for for June, or it was rather. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I I still think that it's largely like lockdown related and supply chain related issues contributing <clears throat> uh, to a lot of it. And even though there are like v- hugely mixed takes on this, I think the fact that there are a handful of services in like the CPI or a handful of products and services in the CPI that are like skewing it hugely is really like significant to think about. Like rental cars, hotels, flights, and like eating out or something are like yeah. very high. It was like 25% increases or whatever. I think is like really significant and we shouldn't overlook that. Uh, but it obviously just makes sense because like you had uh, hotels, like letting staff go and shutting down, for example, like rental car companies selling their entire rental fleets mm. uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And now we just have these supply chain bottlenecks um like global shipping is slowing down which is like being covered in a really interesting way on odd lots actually which is a wicked podcast to like keep oh, yeah, up with the shit for oh
1: uh, yeah i was going to listen to that one yeah yeah
0: yeah um so anyway like sure there's some inflation but i don't i'm not wor- i'm not as worried as many people are but then again i'm just a guy on the fucking internet so like but that's my opinion um hey everybody's just some guy yeah and i mean as far as covid <laughs> concerns go like yeah, it's it is concerning um and I, if I detach myself from my like a view on the pandemic itself and just think about what the world's reaction to increased cases of the Delta strain will be then yeah, it it's not good for economic outlooks or the market I don't think. Um mm. but don't see i I don't see the rational reason for this to cause a a massive correction like a 10 percent correction or even a prolonged bear market um so yeah. like i'll just be looking to probably continue buying the next big dip and you know but I, like like i just said to you before the podcast i would i would love for this to be that big correction right now i kind of want it to happen um yep. i want us to drop like 10 to 20 percent like i said There are just not as many buying opportunities right now. Um, Even the stocks that I like. Yeah. are like Showing like limited upside because of how highly priced everything is. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. It's just like hold on to your tits and ride it out, really. Um, And just (laughs) watch your portfolio get fucking reamed on a daily basis for a couple of weeks and then you'll be fine.
1: Yeah. And that's it. And, you know, go outside. Well, I guess some people can't go outside right now. That's to our listeners it's so i'm in such a fucking privileged country and i don't even appreciate it you know like just the whole lockdown thing is like this distant memory although mm. i was placing bets and i uh with people and i was like i bet we're gonna have a lockdown this year you know um
0: yeah right interesting yo. why do you think that is
1: um i just feel like it's time for it you know like it's <laughs> been a while mm. people are getting a little cocky you gotta slap them back into fucking submission yeah um, I just kind of you know it just seems like at some point there's gonna be a breakthrough in the population. It's happened everywhere else, yeah, and it's just weird that it hasn't happened here properly, like I guess the border control is really easy to do and you're a small island in the middle of fucking nowhere uh mm-hmm. <laughs> as it turns out, but I don't know, it just kind of feels like inevitable that it's gonna happen, you know,
0: yeah I get you so what was this fluff piece that you had
1: oh, right, so uh yeah, I had a pretty good uh, line into that, but uh, pass it up. So... Oh,
0: no, no, you can still <laughs> say
1: it. It's okay. Speaking for everyone waiting to finish, um, the are you following the Tokyo Olympics at all? Uh, is anyone I mean... following the Tokyo <laughs> Olympics at
0: all? I'm not following anything relating to like the actual sports, but yeah, I'm aware of the, the clusterfuck that is unfolding.
1: Yeah, okay, so um why is it called the 2020 tokyo olympics by the way
0: because they paid to have all the signs and the corporate branding done up for last <laughs> year and they just probably aren't going to pay twice to have it all redone <laughs> that's so
1: funny <laughs> it's sad but yeah yeah I, I kept reading it thinking it was a typo and then i was like man that yeah doesn't it sounds passe um so the tokyo olympics are Introducing cardboard beds as an anti sex measure. Mm, I did see that. <laughs> <laughs> I would feel so fucking ripped off, man,
0: if I was an athlete and I had worked for my entire life to go to the Olympics. And, like, first of all, you're going to this like shitty version of the Olympics in the middle of the pandemic with no spectators to compete for yeah. gold and like fulfill your life's dream. And then, secondly, like, just to like, add insult to injury, you have to sleep on a fucking cardboard bed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And get this, and to even add further insult, uh, Tokyo organizers have been planning to give out 155, sorry, 150,000 condoms as a parting gift.
0: As a parting gift?
1: Yeah, so like on your way out. So like, if you go to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, (laughs) here's (laughs) a condom so you can go have sex after (laughs) that. You fuck off from here.
0: It's really kind of like weird and sad the way that over the last maybe like half a decade or something, maybe even 10 years, I'm not sure, curbing the sexual activity of athletes at different events has become like a weirdly uh, like significant thing that organizers and the media fixate on. Like when I think the last Olympics were held in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, um, while the, while the Zika outbreak was happening, which was that yep. like bizarre mosquito-borne disease that I don't think really ended up being a massive deal, but the same thing happened. Like they had like these uh, I don't know programs in place to try and dissuade athletes from fucking each other, and they did like again they distributed like thousands of condoms or whatever. Um, but just let people fuck. It's up to them. Like, where is the individual accountability? If you, if you want to go and get the Zika virus from some like I don't know high jump woman, yeah, <laughs> just that's their problem. <laughs> <High jump. laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, I thought the elites would kind of like that as well, because you know it's like like the their best uh, athletes and and that's that's a good thing and so many of those weirdos are into eugenics so it kind of seems something that they would encourage
0: but maybe it's just because <laughs> they're not getting
1: laid so, Oh, you mean you know, the
0: breeding i get you. the breeding right. yeah, yeah okay uh,
1: i thought you meant the elites would like curbing sex but oh no they definitely like that but mm. that in the great unwashed you know mm. um yeah as opposed to High-powered athletes uh, doing it. It sounds like it gets really messy. Their head. Yeah, like, uh, they they party pretty hard. Uh, that must be so much fun. You you must imagine that being like just people into like I don't know, just throwing sticks and shit, all having a big fuck fest.
0: Yeah, well, it would suck though. Imagine if your event was on the very last day of the the uh, Olympics, so like you had yeah. to stay in like pristine condition and be training for like the whole two weeks while everyone else is like just drinking and fucking whereas on the other hand if if your event was on like the first day you could just get it over and done with and then binge hard
1: Hmm. because they're not allowed to um orgasm before an event what really well uh it would reduce performance oh right (laughs) according to the no fat community so
0: i have heard um mike tyson never used to have sex before a fight because mm. it would like um, enhance like his aggression.
1: Yeah, and Muhammad um, Ali. Yeah. Yeah, true. So that's really yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I actually don't know if they do do that, but I would imagine there's some sort of like you no know, fat going on to you know boost returns. Um, mm. <laughs> which is uh, maybe <laughs> maybe we should start doing that for the portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say for the podcast. Oh, no. yeah, well, I guess that as well. Like but. No
0: orgasms within three days of recording yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> but we probably just come across as way more angry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this thing fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh.
0: yeah, so yeah. I don't know, man. The whole Tokyo Olympics thing seemed like just a, a massive shame to me. I don't well, know. The
1: Olympics if- has been so shit, man, for like... I have not watched or seen or been part of like any Olympics thing since I got the flu when I was a kid and right. was essentially forced to watch it because a uh, blockbuster still existed, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just seen all the fucking Rendell movies, you know. Oh, okay, I get. You. So I don't know who the fuck is going to watch the Olympics nowadays because it's like a bunch of redundant sports that you know, and and there's so much machismo. Mach- machismo machismo
0: machismo i think
1: machismo machismo yeah machimo all right whatever um, <laughs> there's so much of that <laughs> that i think it might put off like uh the unathletic sensitive types out there in the world today
0: <laughs> yeah well people love to hate the olympics because it makes them feel <laughs> shitty about themselves right yeah so like the whole much. thing and like we have more and more people who hate themselves because they achieve nothing who are just like sitting around watching fucking Netflix all day now. Um, Mm. the demographic is more skewed towards useless people.
1: So I'm sure that like the Olympic viewing numbers will go down.
0: Um, Not just useless
1: because there, there was like a time where you could sit back with a beer and you might've weighed, you know, like well over the, um, acceptable, uh, number that is considered to be by some unhealthy, uh, and they could just have a beer and yell abuse at like you know Michael Phelps or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and that was fun. <laughs> that was an enjoyable activity. Like you yeah.
0: fucking swim faster <laughs> for Australia.
1: <laughs> like is he is Thorpedo Thorpedo whoever the fuck Thorpedo is. He's yeah, the author, Ian, yeah. Ian, Ian Thorpe. Ian Thorpe. Yeah, my yeah. bad. Not Michael Phelps. Um, but that that was like a good time, and they still do that with like football and shit. Mm-hmm. Like being. uh of decent health is not a part of the thing you know of the viewing pleasure
0: no no not at all yeah i think the the main distinguishing i guess like variable is your like your self esteem because you can be like overweight and love drinking beer and love yourself far more yeah. than you can be like a healthy yuppie who like um, is not one of the top five architects in your metropolitan area. Um, and mm. so, like, I think um, yuppies with like high minded aspirations who hate themselves because like they fall flat of their like ridiculous ideals are far less likely to watch the Olympics because they think that people who um, oh, are, yeah. who pursue excellence in sport are like, are less than them, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 Um, and then the flip side of that is like, they're not yuppies but they have the same kind of like tall poppy tear everyone down syndrome um, but they just lie around watching netflix mm-hmm. yeah exactly all day. <laughs> um, whoever those fucking people are
0: yeah something that really like bothers me is the the prevalence of like the term toxic masculinity now and the way <laughs> that like excellence and things that could be considered like masculine like sport or things that require like Brute force or violence, mm-hmm. like are considered like an undesirable outcome or whatever, or like that you're like less sort of like I don't know morally uh, upstanding if you're like a great rugby player or something like yeah. that. Then there's even like dudes who, you know, occupy a particular niche in society, <laughs> and and like will just not watch rugby because toxic masculinity is considered to be like this taboo. So like if you endorse masculine activities, then you're by extension, like less of a fucking person or whatever, which drives yeah. me insane.
1: Yeah, that's so, yeah, it's pretty fucking bullshit. Although there's just like a bunch of coping, you know, that's happening, I think. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't really believe that it's under threat um as much as some right-wing pundits make it out to be uh because at the end of the day these people are just such fucking losers you can push them over and just be toxic all over them (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it's not something that's like super threatening it's just kind of like a bunch of fucking online losers Mm -hmm. like don't go out in the fucking real world and they can sit there bitch and moan about it all all day long because people are still gonna fucking box and like you know i love getting aggressive i think it's a really good emotion it, it's yeah, me my as favorite well. almost mm-hmm. yeah i, I find like i think it's really aggressive. important like oh um, fuck yeah. yeah yeah playing
0: playing sport competitively is one of the best things for my mental health because like it's such a great way to channel like the frustration and pent-up energy and aggression that you sort of like develop in your day-to-day um mm. like so, when i'm playing basketball there are times where you know like sure, like, I'll make excessive contact with someone from the other team or whatever, and, like, we can be aggressive towards each other, but at the end of the game, like, I will always shake that person's hand and, like, thank them for the game, and, like, I feel as though you actually leave on good terms. And in a weird way, the more confrontational, uh, I guess, interactions I've had with other players in sport have kind of made me respect them. Like, it sounds kind of fucked up, but, like, there have been times where, like, I've come close to a fight in a game of basketball or whatever, and, like, in my mind, the next time I see that guy, I'm now going to go out of my way to be, like, kind and talk to him.
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, it's not... It's it's like a fucking display of respect, I reckon. I, in a sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole... I just think, like, the whole toxicity thing... Um, like, there's definite aspects of, like, toxic uh male behavior as much as i think there's a toxic any behavior by anyone you know mm-hmm. but there's toxic behavior i think that's like specific to men and it's like the whole predatory sexual part like yeah fuck yeah go after that big time like that's mm. that's filth you know and it's so prevalent it's fucking disgusting yeah. so disgusting that aside uh the whole aggression thing's great they just don't get it you know you're sitting on the fucking side and it looks like oh it's so scary but it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking sick getting like right up in someone's face or whatever you know and then you're right and then you have that like mutual respect towards someone else uh which is dope which is really yeah dope. yeah i think it's just they're just coping man that's my take on it they're coping they're online they're coping uh, and they haven't got anything better to do, and they might have got bullied his kids or something. So you know.
0: Yeah. So speaking of coping.
1: Speaking of coping.
0: Speaking right. of coping. This <laughs> brings me to an article that I was
1: sent <laughs> by. We, just before you launch into that. Yeah, sure. Um, where the fuck is the dialogue on toxic coping? Like, isn't there? Uh, exactly. That's, you know? that's
0: very. It's a brilliant question. There is no yeah.
1: dialogue on it.
0: Um, I, we should and, make that a thing, you know. Well, going then, after toxic we are copers. the dialogue on toxic coping. Oh, well, there we go. Okay. You know, I'll like where is, the, where is the dialogue <laughs> on shooting down people who achieve things? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like that's fucking horrendous, dude. Yeah. And and that's uh, that that relates to what I'm about to talk about. So right. Um, okay. One of my friends Bertrand sent me this amazing article, um, and. I got really excited after I read it because I was like, yeah, I'm going to share it on the podcast, et cetera, uh, and like told you vaguely about it. And you were like, dude, I've already talked to you about that. Like I've read this. Um, Yeah. But we should try to find that one.
1: So because it's I, I also have a pretty shitty memory that has a lot of dream elements in it. So, I don't, I don't know, man. I could have just fucking dreamt the entire thing. Right. I've definitely read the article, but I haven't seen what it's about. So, I, I'm interested to hear your perspective as someone who actually knows the source material. Yeah,
0: well, um, I have a feeling that we probably spoke about this on the podcast, um, but not in like a super thorough way. Hmm. Um, so, we kind of just agreed like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll do it again because at the very least, it provides like probably a framework for a really interesting conversation, and we can we can spin off into whichever direction. Um, but yeah, so for our listeners, uh, the, the title of this article is called "The Michael Scott Theory of Social Class," referring to Michael Scott, the main character of the American version of The Office, which many of you will probably be familiar with, as I am intimately, uh, and Damon is not. So. This article was written on 22nd of January 2021 um, by Alex Danko on his uh, on his Substack. It basically tries to lay out a, a sort of framework of class stratification and claims that the office, whether intentionally or not, provides like a really great sort of illustration of this um, or like a, a lens to see this uh, class stratification through. For people who haven't watched The Office, I'll give like a really brief overview of, I guess, the concept of the show and how the story plays out. So um, it follows the manager of a uh, regional branch of a paper company called Dunder Mifflin. The manager's name is Michael Scott. Um, They live in a uh, small town called Scranton, Pennsylvania. um, And they work in a really mediocre, understated office. the The team of staff that run this office and sell paper. Some of them are accountants. Some of them are sale, uh, paper salesmen. Some of them uh, work in HR or customer service. They're like essentially the ultimate collection of nobodies and average joes um, from all different walks of li- walks of life. Um, and you know they're meant to represent the. I guess, cliche American workplace.
1: Hmm. The Office. Exactly,
0: yeah, The Office. (laughs) And Alex Danko's article uh, borrows from another guy called uh, Venkatesh Rail, who laid out a theory called the Gervais Principle. Uh, He drew that from the UK version of The Office. But Alex Danko here, I think, simplifies this and I think does a pretty good job of explaining it. So he basically says that in society as well as the show the office people are divided into three categories and if you think about these categories as fitting into like a pyramid shape uh, the peak of the pyramid uh, is occupied by sociopaths which is not necessarily a negative connotation uh, but it just means that these people are are ruthlessly capable are generally intelligent um, and generally have little empathy for the people who achieve less and occupy the categories of the pyramid below them Um, the people in the second and middle tier are called clueless Um, and these are people who are sort of occupied by middle management and people who are aspiring for power but are less capable and will likely never achieve it and these people are characterized by delusions of grandeur and insecurity that leads them to constantly be posturing, uh, both towards other people in their group, their clueless peers, uh, the sociopaths who occupy the space above them, and then the losers who occupy the space below them, which are 80% of people. Um, the term loser is not meant to describe, uh, someone who is lowly or a piece of shit or is a failure, but it just means the people who, uh, who win the least amount of prizes in the sort of zero sum game of economics, I suppose? Um, within the office? Within the office and society. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So the losers are typically, they sell their labor in exchange for wages. They have little access to leverage, not a lot of upward mobility, mm-hmm. and are basically what we would describe as, in common terms, as the working class. So for the people who are listening who are familiar with, uh the office i'll assign some of the characters to the groups that they fit in so in the sociopaths you have david wallace who is the ceo of dunder mifflin paper company um and ryan the temp who uh studies at business school and then fraudulently fraudulently ascends to um to uh the corporate team before being put back in his place and eventually working back as a uh customer service representative whose office is a closet. Um, uh, In the clueless group of people, you have uh, Michael Scott, the regional manager who performs really well in his job in middle management, but always feels the need to prove himself both to his boss, David Wallace, as well as to his underlings. More than his need to prove himself in his job and prove his capabilities, he feels the need to be liked and approved of as a person which is something that he struggles for. Um, Then you have Dwight and Andy, um, two others who uh, at different times dip their feet in management positions and sort of have to dance in and out of being um, kind of a middle achiever and someone who aspires for management um, and is constantly trying to uh, present themselves as very capable, even though they might not be. Um, Then amongst the losers, you have the likes of Stanley, Pam, Daryl, Uh, and I would include uh, Oscar, Kevin. These are, yeah, I won't go into the the way that they fit into that role in the show because it might be a bit too much detail. But now Danko continues to describe one of the the main ways of kind of categorizing or identifying these characters as being um, their language and the way that they communicate. For me, someone who studied communication at university this like was super fascinating for me because my degree started as well my communication degree actually got restructured by the university halfway through my degree and the first half of it was for me was a lot more um theory based and it was a lot more grounded in like the humanities so it's like the the art of communication how communication models work how how different uh in group languages get formed and whatnot and then it was restructured to uh, talk more about, you know, modern communication, like the internet and design and et cetera, the media. So anyway, revisiting this was really exciting for me. So it basically talks about how sociopaths, the clueless and losers each communicate amongst themselves or with other groups in different languages. Um, two of the most interesting, I think, are a posture talk and baby talk. So. A third one I'll mention is straight talk. So um, actually straight talk is probably the easiest to explain. So I'll start with that. So because sociopaths and losers for their own reasons are sort of clear minded and see the world how it is and they see their place in the world without much delusion, they tend to use straight talk. So sociopaths understand their capabilities and they understand that other people below them Um, are less able than them and that they don't need to pander to their feelings when communicating. So a sociopath can speak to a deluded person or a loser uh, very directly and communicate what needs to be said without um, mincing their words. Um, Similarly, a loser will communicate upwards or amongst their own group with straight talk because Mm -hmm. they understand their place in the world. And I'll also emphasize that just because a loser uh, understands their place and they are in the sort of lower tier, it doesn't mean that a loser can't be successful, right? So Mm. a loser is just someone who's, um, how do I put it? Basically blue collar and is happy to work, happy to put the hard yards in and start a business, earn money. But what separates them from uh, the clueless is that the losers are not deluded about their place in the world. Yeah, The losers are not trying to ascend to the the top of the pyramid exactly yeah um and and shit exactly and for that reason losers also use the language of straight talk yeah now the clueless the middle tier exclusively use posture talk Um, (laughs) so that means amongst one another because they view people in their own in-group as competition and are easy easily uh, easy to become envious um they use posture talk towards sociopaths because They are trying to constantly prove their worth to people who they view as better than them. And they're also posturing downwards towards the losers because they're always trying to cement their place um, in the tear of sociopaths, even though that's not where they belong. They want to be perceived to be belonging to that group. Now, the third one of these... Can we... um... Yes, can we do... We can do whatever you want.
1: (laughs) Can we draw on like can, can we take this and apply it to you know um our understanding of the class system 100%. In place currently yeah. because this when i think wa- about uh, yeah
0: oh sorry you carry on
1: uh i was just thinking about what you're saying and it kind of reminded me of our yuppie conversation that i had exactly like two episodes or whatever ago um and just how much it's it's about prestige in that mm-hmm. currency economy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's effectively what you're trying to do is make use of uh, worthless currency as a dick-swinging thing. Um, but it doesn't buy yeah. anything. Oh, man, this is so fucking good. It doesn't yeah. buy anything with, like, tradies or anyone that isn't within that very small subset of the economy. And it doesn't buy anyone with anyone in the fucking upper realms of it aka management or anything because they mm-hmm. know that they're grifting you and they've told me personally personally me <laughs> and they know that they're grifting you as in i have direct experience talking to a fucking cfo who outlined how they're grifting you if you are Mm -hmm. in that scene (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Um, (laughs) not even like you as a general term like literally you you know as an individual as an individual not you Hayden but yeah yeah, you listening if you're trying to do that which I don't think any of our listeners would be trying to do but uh you you can't listen to this much modern guilt and like not be indoctrinated um, (laughs) with our opinions (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, you're totally right about that. And that's what what captivated me so much about this. Yeah. Like, so, you know, The Office is a perfect analogy for our our social class system. And um, the next uh, step in what Danko outlines actually elaborates on what you just said. So, like, this is working well. So, yeah. Next, he borrows from a guy named Michael Church who uh, wrote a summary of the American social class system. uh, And he also divided his system into three categories, which sort of align with um, losers, the clueless, and sociopaths. So uh, Michael Church's three-letter class system had uh, labor, which is losers, educated gentry, which is the clueless, and elites, who are the sociopaths. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So he has these letters kind of aligned in like a diagonal sort of uh, format and for uh, our listeners I'm gonna link this in the show notes so you can go and have a look at the images uh, which accompany this article which do a great job of helping to uh, understand it so where uh, labor is like a vertically aligned letter on the far left the educated gentry is in the middle and kind of overlaps with the top half of the labour letter and then the elite letter is on the far right um, and doesn't really overlap with the labour letter and, but does overlap with the top half of educated gentry. Um, and each of these letters have um, different uh, labeled steps which I'm going to uh, read now which I think are quite interesting. So starting with uh, labour from the bottom up we have tough jobs, which pay hourly and in tips and are typically in service positions. Um, second step up, we have uh, blue collar jobs, which are stable, but require you to have a sort of like lean lifestyle. After that, you have high skilled labor that does have barriers to entry like technical or vocational colleges. So you might be mm. um, say on a, on a road crew. So you need a certificate to do that. Or you may be um, an electrician with your own trade business. The next one up is labor leadership or business owners. Uh, So people who have ascended to the sort of top of the, quote, loser category. Um, But these are people who probably own their own house. They may even own multiple properties. And they actually live a pretty good life. But they're not deluded about their place in the world. And they don't actually aspire to acquire power.
1: Mm.
0: So now looking at uh, the clueless or the educated gentry, from the bottom up, uh, we have... Transitional gentry, so people who um, are generally the first generation of their family to uh, attend and graduate college, probably from a working class background, but have started to delude themselves in terms of their place in the world because they've left school with a college degree and then now they uh, seek to start to accumulate some sort of power.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, The second is the upper middle class who are university educated professionals. Um, they are probably in managerial positions or white collar industries. They might work in, uh, in accounting or marketing and typically live in these sort of inner city suburbs. Yeah. Then we have elite creatives, which I think is when this starts to get really interesting. So yeah, right. these, these are people who have PhDs in the arts. Uh, they are quote, blue check marks on Twitter. <laughs> um they are opinion and thought leaders. Um, oh god,
1: I hate that term. So and much. then
0: you have cultural leadership, which they describe yep. as New York Times op-ed level. Um yep. uh, on the elite letter, the first step is transitional elite, junior bankers, aspiring founders. Second step the working rich executives, third letter, uh third step rather is old money. And I love this one. The last letter, so the most powerful people amongst the elites or sociopaths are the barbarians. So these mm-hmm. are people who are so powerful that they essentially roam and conquer,
1: like Bezos and exactly others.
0: Yeah, yeah. they they live essentially beyond the law or beyond the class system in general. Really.
1: Do you think Bezos um, is like a modern day kind of like Genghis Khan character? Or I think he that... would
0: like to be viewed that way. Yeah.
1: I think he would as well. I don't. Yeah. I don't think he is personally. No,
0: he's not. I... Uh, not not alpha. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um. So the last step of this sort of three-letter class system is interesting because, or um, well, the last thing to outline. Not using steps <coughs> sounds confusing because I was just describing yeah. steps. So the way that um, ascension up these individual letters is measured differs depending on which social class you belong to. So for the losers, uh, mm-hmm. money is typically the way that you measure where you are on. Obviously, if you start at the bottom, you're working uh, as a janitor or a, uh, a barback, back, uh, you're not earning a lot Up the top. If you own your mm-hmm. own business uh, as a tradesman and you own a couple of properties, you're earning much more. Uh, for the sociopaths, uh, it's generally power because if you're on the the bottom rung of the sociopath ladder, you don't really need much money than you're already earning, so it doesn't matter if you earn more. Yeah. Um,
1: Can we so, change that around though? Because it's like instead of power, I feel like job title. Because these people like mm-hmm. you know job job titles their currency, right? Like I'm a I'm a VP at blah blah blah. Job title well, and job brand name.
0: I would I would push back on that, and I'd okay. say that for a legitimate sociopath, they don't want they don't give a fuck about the job title because they yeah. understand that they are their capability uh, is extraneous to a job title. So like for them I think yeah. the job title is a side effect of their achievements. So
1: I agree with you, but my observations and my suspicion mm-hmm. uh equally weighted is that most of these people are wanna be sociopaths, but they're not and That's
0: exactly what I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I No, I completely agree with you. So yeah. even in even in uh, the sort of corporate world, you still have people who are clueless but manage to fail upwards. So you still yeah. have insecure people who do cling to job titles who manage to sort of like drift out of their rightful uh, class mm. uh, tier. Um, yeah. So the for our middle letter, the clueless, the way to measure their position on the letter is... The level of detachment from reality that they experience that doesn't necessarily mean like that all of their views and the things that they hold important are uh, insignificant or not relevant but what it means is their level of detachment from economic reality so um as you ascend the level of cluelessness where you depend more and more on deluding yourself and others in terms of as a way to establish your own like self-actualization you are less in tune with the harsh realities of the labor class. You don't understand the world through the lens of having to like sell your labor in order to make a living because you are one of these people who has had the privilege to graduate with a college education and move into either like the creative industries or the the white collar uh, industries. And that's why at the top level of this letter, you have New York Times op-ed level, which often read, as you know, as people who are completely out of fucking touch and are essentially (laughs) mentally ill. Like, often (laughs) the op-eds in the New York Times just sounds like the ramblings of a schizophrenic.
1: Do you think they get paid very well, though, for that sort of shit? Like, I can't imagine they're tuning in big bucks or whatever.
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head here. They don't. And that's why the the measurement of success on the labor letter is money but the measurement of success um on the educated gentry letter is detachment from reality right so like (laughs) for them it doesn't even matter they don't care because like all that matters is that by writing those pieces they're signaling their status
1: yeah right okay um pretty much
0: because they are so detached from reality they think that writing those pieces is the is the thing that's going to propel them into the sociopathic tier. So in <laughs> reality, being
1: that mentally ill. Oh, <laughs> oh I mean, I so
0: genuinely dumb. believe that this is <laughs> we're plagued by these people, man.
1: <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, well, it's unfortunate, um, but I yeah. agree. I guess. Yeah, yeah. and
0: and they. After this, they talk more about the, how the languages used uh, by these groups and towards other groups uh, can like, illustrate these uh, positions or interactions. So yep. one example they use is uh, the language of baby talk uh, used by the labor class towards the clueless. So, mm. And they talk about uh, the way that an Uber driver will sort of begrudgingly entertain your shitty banter when a middle-class person hops in the car they're like Hmm. oh like where are you from mate like oh afghanistan seems like a really interesting country i'd love to go there one day tell me more about it like i'm guilty of this as well like i have at times probably accidentally spoken in like a patronizing way towards like an uber driver or a cab driver have you ever hit them up for drugs
1: Mm, yeah yeah i think so yeah, uh, I think I got knocked out a few points on the Uber score for that. Eh? Oh, That's normally my conversation. Yeah, but one night um, I totally scored, you know, so hmm. the dude just pulled some stuff out. And I was like, oh, hey, cool, party time. I
0: actually yeah. remember there was a guy in Christchurch, you probably knew about him, who was yeah. a taxi driver who would deliver tinnies.
1: Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, man. I totally remember yeah. that dude. Yeah. He
0: once came and met me at a cemetery, which was weird. <laughs> um
1: do you lift <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah anyway
0: so where was, where was i um, sorry <laughs> no 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 don't be sorry um oh the use of language this is the same way we're talking about baby talk
1: oh uh, yeah that's because i keep cringing every time you fucking say it i'm just like oh god an no,
0: example of, of baby talk that i can imagine a sociopath using towards one of the clueless would be at like a, a gala or a a formal event even like a wedding for example and one of these clueless individuals who writes op-eds in the New York Times would be um, trying to speak in like a braggadocious fashion to someone who is a true sociopath and out of politeness, the sociopath would say, oh, that sounds really great. Tell me more about your op-ed. The clueless then thinks that they're getting the approval of the sociopath and acceptance into that upper tier of society, etc. So I think I'll stop it there. And I might go into the second part of this in the next episode um, because okay. that attempts to break down um, the clueless into three separate categories and also talks about the evolution of the clueless. Oh, wow.
1: Shit. Okay. And how it's Sick. come about. Yeah. But yeah,
0: yeah. yeah uh, I think this just offers a, a really fascinating way to think about society. Yeah. No, it's really good. I hope that in my explanation of who these people or who and how this clueless class is and how it works people listening can start to like visualize or like have these light bulb moments in their head and be like holy shit, like i actually live around these clueless people who are constantly trying mm. to delude themselves and others as a way to um as a source of their own self-esteem
1: yeah i i find this really interesting because well, obviously because we talked about it um a lot on the pod and uh-huh. in life uh but I just think um, it's it's one of those fantastic scenarios, right? Where you, you basically have like a bunch of really many little economies set up within an office place. You can imagine an office place is sort of like kind of like a closed economic system where like mm-hmm. a university is like a reasonably closed economic system in the sense that there's this like set number of people and uh, they're all seeking reward of some kind, um, be it a degree first and second, a job. And, you know, that's kind of how the economy works within that system. You know, they spend time writing fucking essays and doing bullshit and then receive grades and then they can get rewarded with it. And it's only for like this small window of time. And it's the same with the office space. But the thing that I find fascinating about all of that is like you have this small little system and offices are unique in the sense that they really strip your personality away. Like, uh, I, I haven't, I don't know why, but it's sort of like, I guess it's like something to do with like the claustrophobic environment, um, the fluorescent lighting, uh, the like, the, the lack of culture, you know, that everybody must exhibit. Um, that's just so entrenched that it's like, you can't sort of walk in there and be like, you oh, am fucking hated. What up? bitches you know what i mean like you can't do that that's not acceptable Mm -hmm. um and to do that would be like you'd be fired like immediately you know like you just can't have a personality you have to act in a very rigid way so and everybody's going after the same gains and the same rewards right so there's going to be this natural predatory behavior because that's just what happens you know when you have a finite number of rewards that can be given um And people are just going to start fucking stabbing each other in the back and being petty and everything like that. You just can't get away from that within any human system. So I think like you end up with this clusterfuck of people uh, effectively having their identities removed and then like doing whatever they can to kind of grab hold of some kind of identity within the very narrow bandwidth that they're allowed to have one and that mm-hmm. manifests itself in these sort of like office archetypes that occur that give yeah. birth to shows like the office and um the one i enjoyed was office space <laughs> yeah um, right. i've never know, watched Office 2000s space. movie or whatever which is the same fucking thing it's just about like all these office characters mm-hmm. uh but the the hilarious part about it the rewards are so small that nobody really has enough like it's not enough to like foster true innovation or true sort of like personalities except i guess within very specific contexts, like you know the the trading floor of a 1980s hedge fund or something like that um (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and i think that like you say the the small size of the rewards on offer i think are exactly what determines the difference between um the losers and the clueless right because like Mm. the losers understand the reality of their situation and um like danko describes in his article they're clear eyed uh, which is what Mm. allows them to be able to talk straight amongst themselves whereas the the deluded or the clueless first of all can't recognize that the goals that they're pursuing within the office uh insufficient for sort of like obscuring the identity and mm. but it also i think at the same time like diluted in the sense that if they get these small prizes then they will uh they'll be able to ascend and that's actually not what happens like <laughs> no,
1: you never do yeah. Yeah, man yeah. i met fucking like ceos and cfos and shit like that that were still like ah oh, i did 15 years of hard-ass work 20 years of hard-ass work and this is all I got. who literally would say that sort of thing in yes yeah. you know and and it was like really weird and unprofessional but oh no it was unprofessional i didn't give a fuck <laughs> but um it was just kind of like out of context because i think they're just over it and they realized that they had sacrificed 15 years for like really small unsubstantial gains that mm-hmm. didn't mean fucking anything and their lives fundamentally didn't change whatsoever and that's why it's so funny to me ha, 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 <laughs> to see this whole thing play out because it's like the lack of identity and personality bind with the totally small rewards makes this like inert uh population, you know, that just like can't really be fucked. And there's all these and so it just breaks down into like pettiness. Like nobody's dying, you know, nobody's fucking getting killed or whatever. Like if that happens, it's like a total one-off kind of thing. You know, but it's just everybody's so like lazy because they're going after such pathetic rewards that they'll just sort of like do shitty back chat and just have like bad sex with each other because they're too fucking tired. And they don't have any personality to like, you know, act out their like, uh, their emotions because it's just so tightened. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, (laughs) it's yeah, it's fascinating, and I think it's it's really interesting that you know viable alternatives are so hard to come by. Though I Mm. think um, even for even for clear-eyed losers, who I probably most identify as Um, because I would say that I'm you know culturally I'm definitely from like a sort of loser background or a working class background Um, but I guess like financially or materially I suppose I would fit the bottom tier of the clueless as a first generation university graduate Mm. you know I have toiled in these like low-level labor jobs and service industries and whatnot and I'm being sort of forced into the, the office, so to speak, um, yeah. as, a, as a way to make ends meet, which is a fascinating kind of like challenge to look at myself taking on. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like the way that you describe the office and the shredding of identity and the lack of culture and essentially the lack of hope in that setting, <laughs> it makes me like wonder you know like is it are you best off to just remain a loser and just go in there and just understand what you are and where you are and do the bare minimum and leave at the end of the day or like do you think you can still get the most out of trying and trying to find something out of it
1: well my take is that it's a very gameable system you know Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work anywhere like what people think it does so because there's this whole bullshit about the meritocracy And it's like your pay will be some function of your ability to output work plus your relationships with your coworkers or something like that, which is normally like a minor part of it where it's like we evaluate performance based on input, you know, but that's bullshit, right? So like, I think if you go in there with eyes wide open on the fact that it's not going to be anything like that, and that you can probably just like bullshit your way right up really fucking quickly Mm -hmm. if you can be fucked uh and that aggression is a really positive tool i said it motherfuckers yeah (laughs) (laughs) um one of our dear friends uh rose very quickly through his organization um and was hyper aggressive about it like if you don't give me a pay rise i'm quitting and i'm gonna go work for your fucking competitor
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, so yeah, you know, yeah. it's like I think it's about, and but the problem is you don't have much capital in terms of like bargaining power when you first mm-hmm. get in there because there's just this big big flow of labor, and they're like, well, if you fuck off, we'll just get someone else, you know. And once you're more entrenched, then you have capital, and you mm-hmm. can really fire back because it's a real pain in the ass to hire people, um and that's your bargaining power. So I think you have to be like totally aware of the realities. the situation and that to have true bargaining power you have to like be aggressive you have to be very aggressive um Mm. that doesn't mean you can you know run in there and be like oh you fucking cunts give me a pay rise but it just means that like you you can say no and uh it's less of a master slave uh dynamic than a lot of people seem to feel it is by which I mean, a lot of people think like, "Oh, I could never, never upset my boss because then I'll, I'll lose my job and and I'll be destitute and homeless and you know it'll be awful mm. and uh, all, all praise the the mighty boss." You know, whereas so you, you, what, you can tell your boss to go fuck themselves. So,
0: which approach do you think? Offers people the best opportunity to find like spiritual fulfillment or like some shred of <laughs> salvation. So say like they've made. The I really decision. enjoy being a
1: contractor. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I okay. So I, I mean, it's it's always going to depend who it is. But if I'm making like broad, sweeping generalizations that are entirely based on my own experience, <laughs> which is what we all do, then mm. yeah, <laughs> uh, my spiritual fulfillment came from pre office life and post office life. And it didn't at all come from office life whatsoever. Uh, so my, like, if I'm going to like run through my CV, I was like in like, like I was doing like, uh, just garden variety, variety analyst work, which is basically as like an Excel monkey. And then I was a management consultant in quotes for a little bit, which is bullshit um and i did some other shitty jobs as a recruiter uh and then i found my way into like tech or whatever but Mm -hmm. all of those jobs are bullshit they all fucking sucked the only one that was good that offered any resemblance of like um yeah the the only job i've ever had that offered any sort of spiritual fulfillment within an office context and even then it kind of sucked ass uh was when i effectively joined like a cowboy company and they gave me this ridiculous offer that um, was ended up being total bullshit. But like, they're like, you know, you can do whatever you want, and if we, we've got this shitty app. And if you can make it make money, then you know we'll give you shares. So that was great. Um, that didn't eventuate, but it also gave me total freedom. So the only spiritual fulfillment I ever got from the entire experience was was a con. <laughs> escaping was a con. Basically, yeah, Yeah. because it's like too good to be true. And the other thing I think is important for people to understand is that when you're within the office context, you're very protected from the world. You don't have to worry about lawsuits or fucking people coming after you. When you're not in that context and you move out of it, um, it's the big bad world, right? Of like anything can happen. People can sue you and shit uh which um it has happened to me and but i i like it because it's aggressive like yeah come in fucker like (laughs) you know it's fun so um i don't know man it's that's a really long-winded way of basically saying like i didn't get any spiritual fulfillment in fact i had friends over uh last week and we were drinking and railing and having a good time and Mm -hmm. uh I got asked the question because I've, I've <laughs> to, to the listeners, well, I'm just describing my background here. I effectively like haven't had a job in like four and a half years. Um, I've done like random contracts here and there. And that's basically it. So they were asking me like, oh, you know, do you ever get depressed or whatever? Um, and, or like fall off the rails? So we were talking about a, another friend of ours that basically can't, you know, falls and has like long periods of not having work uh, because of the nature of what he does. Um and falls off the rails really hard into like just bouts of alcoholism and whatever. Uh and um I was thinking no, you know, like the the only time in my life where that's happened was when I had a fucking nine to five because it mm. just removed it took away everything that I had, you know, like personality. Mm. And it sounds so dramatic and like flaky and shit. I'm sure a lot of people would listen to this and just be like, shut the fuck up. Like <laughs> that's such a <laughs> such a stupid thing. But it, it was like, man, I've had bad shit happened in my life like you know this was fucking horrible in comparison Mm. to, to me personally because it took like my sense of individuality my sense of freedom my sense of like uh what's possible creativity was gone my social relationships broke down um you know like it was really fucking damaging I've had to go through fucking, like, lawsuits with the police, man. Like, this was worse. I swear to Christ, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, I've, I've had, like, bad shit go on. Like, you know, and this that three-year period that I was bouncing around corporate jobs was, like, the worst shit um, over a long period of time. It wasn't like every day was horrible, but every day was bad. And the cumulative effect of just, like, that stripping of identity and everything i i didn't see any sense of spiritual fulfillment and that was looking up at ceos cfos fucking at the tops basically you know and being like okay if i work really hard over a long period of time maybe i could get to this level and seeing how fucking miserable they were one of the ceos that had an old company that i was at uh was just a fucking miserable cunt He like started as a um, miner, like literally mining coal Mm -hmm. and then became like the CEO of a fucking energy company. And then, but he was just a cock. He was just like, oh yeah, you know, just come to work and then um, go home, do some Pilates with the wife and uh, make sure I get a good night's rest and back in the office. And uh, I think I asked him, I was like, oh, so (laughs) where do you see yourself after this? Uh, And he was like, Oh, just you know, just want to keep doing the same thing and do right by the shareholders. And I just thought, God, listen to this fucking prick. Honestly, <laughs> there's just nothing here. Like his life is terrible. He was just like a robot or something, you know. Well, and they, do
0: you think though that he found some sort of peace?
1: No, dude, not at all. No, it, it, it wasn't like, like he did. No, okay. Well, I'm not doing justice to just how. Okay. Like, brain dead it was like right yeah it wasn't like talking to someone who found peace it was like talking to someone who was like burned out from stress and like couldn't cope and like you know basically (laughs) was just tired like big bags under his eyes and just like tired and just sort of like sniping at the fact that like the board and people were on his ass and you know he was sort of like constrained within his role as ceo you know you don't have like this ultimate freedom because the board beats down his ass he can only write which is weird for a company that they're like a multi-billion dollar company he can only write a three million dollar check and that's it without clearing it with shareholders and the board and everything else so no 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 i think his life sucks and he didn't (laughs) feel like he was making enough money and he was on like a million dollars a year salary so you know what i mean like Mm. he's still stuck is what i noticed and and he was
0: why would you stay at that for more than two years like imagine if you if you were a CEO in a company of that size and your job sucked that much, but you had made a million dollars a year, like why carry on? You well, know they what get, I'm saying? They it's get bizarre. the expense
1: creep, you know? That's not enough. Mm, and, yeah. And like it's just the expenses just rack up further. They get used to a certain lifestyle. That's, they've built their whole social scene around that. So, you know, but the point, point I was trying to make, I guess, is like at the fucking high runs, it was shit. At the middle rungs, it was shit. And at the low rungs, it was really shit. And so there was at no point within any hierarchy, uh, within any company that I was in, that I was like, wow, this is good. Uh, this sounds fulfilling. It sounds like a lot of people are just doing bullshit jobs, which is why David Graeber's piece on bullshit jobs just resonates so much. Mm-hmm so i don't have any fucking good advice i'm kind of like a cynic though and i've had a bunch of shitty experiences within those environments so i'm sure that there's you know my perspective is entirely colored from like a profoundly negative series of events for about three years um i'm sure there's other people out there there's enough people doing it i'm sure they're getting something out of it Mm. You know.
0: yeah i sometimes wonder as well obviously like your experience is your experience but i wonder when it comes to myself how much of the things that i hated in my early 20s were just a result of me being in my early 20s so like mm. i had a couple of jobs which i i can look back on and say felt like a living hell um but i also know that at the time like i was probably an alcoholic uh i was addicted to smoking i didn't even know who the fuck i was in terms of like my identity I probably abused drugs, et cetera. You know, like I, I could keep rattling off things that were probably wrong with me as a person. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, wrong is subjective. What's wrong <clears> for <throat> one person might be right for another. But, you know, and I wonder how much would be different if I either like got into those jobs at a later point in my life or if I was just different as a person. So yeah. like that, do you think that that's like possibly the case for you as well?
1: I do more drugs now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my life didn't change that much. So, so okay. So, I basically was forced from the office world um, because of like legal stuff uh, that that was. You should not also me. point
0: out that it wasn't your fault. Yeah, it wasn't my fault, <laughs> because, but, I, uh, but yeah. it was also a
1: positive thing because it was me mm-hmm. uh, suing basically the boss. Yeah. So, you know,
0: I'll just, I'll uh, just step in here for you for like one minute and just say that like, Damon has been like slightly vague in the last 10 minutes about some lawsuits <laughs> but there is no blame to assign to him here and he is not some oh. sort of shyster either. no
1: i i won them all so yes. you know, yeah like uh yeah cool. so it's like it was uh a i think fight it's worth injustice. um
0: it's worth defining those yeah i have to be yeah. like specifically <laughs> yeah. vague because of
1: like ndas but yeah yeah um aside from that yeah no i won bitches uh, a- anyway like okay so what was i fucking oh right i drank really heavily during that period but it was for a different reason um whereas when i left and i was you know forced basically and i was like do i get another job and i was like nah fuck it like i'm just gonna try striking it out on my own um i drank the same amount for for a period there i was even drinking more which i was excessive when i was in office land like Blackout drunk, sort of excessive, you know. And then I was mm-hmm. really excessive because I was like, I'm fucking free, sick. You know, I'm going to get fucked up on Monday and Tuesday. And we used to have this like tradition of because I've got um, friends that also don't work, which is uh, good <laughs> 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 when you want to get fucked up. Um, so, yeah. I, I guess you, I guess you could sort of say like, well, part of that was finding myself, but part of, part of like the whole process of finding yourself is finding what you fundamentally want to spend your time on. Um, you know, and so, yeah, uh, I guess, I guess, I guess you can, um, I, it, it would probably be easier to do it now, I would say yeah. rather than because I'm way less, uh, idealistic am more cynical. And I know about stocks and shit. And I know that there's an out. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I was staring down the barrel of like 60 years of just bullshit. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, when I started trading in around 2015 or something or 2016, I was like, oh, wow, I can get ahead. You know, so and that was kind of like more towards the end of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the fundamental uh, concepts of like how wealth is created do help your whole Uh, understanding of it because then you're at least like oh I can do this and I can get the fuck out of here eventually and I can suffer through it and if it's a 10-year journey or a 15-year journey I at least can leave
0: yeah yeah and I think also the idea that whether you're getting paid like a salary or paid hourly that you're not just selling your labor but the thousand dollars I'm making is actually in reality more like four thousand dollars i'm making because of how you're going to use that thousand dollars you know um it probably makes it a lot more palatable but i don't know i mean work work for me definitely is in that regard even though sometimes i struggle to um remind myself that but yeah anyway um if you haven't listened to our last patreon episode go to patreon forward slash modern guilt listen to us talk about stocks and the market um, we'll talk about some of our picks, et cetera. Uh, you get that bonus episode once per month for five us dollars and you get to support the pod. If you want to hit us up on Twitter with suggestions about the, uh, topics to talk about or feedback or any questions or whatever, uh, Damon is modern underscore guilt, no guilt, underscore modern. Guilt and, underscore I, modern. Yeah, yeah. and I am why worry underscore. Oh wait. We um, love hearing from a- you guys.
1: Yeah. Give a like to the uh, HGen crew who are going to be spamming Twitter until they get what they want.
0: Mm. If you uh, yeah. if you listen to too many, this week is the week, but we'll see. But they've been saying that for the last six <laughs> fucking weeks. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but hey, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed, and I can we, can we can all celebrate uh, yeah. Yeah. together. We can breathe out. Yeah oh thank fucking christ
0: all right uh thank you for listening everybody i hope you enjoyed the podcast um we kind of got like a bit weird in this one i feel we got kind of like deep that's cool no problem i dug it (laughs) yeah yeah i enjoyed it as well i feel like maybe it started to feel more like just us having a conversation rather than a podcast but oh um, we had a
1: whole episode about that though we were talking about depression you know people vibed on it so yes maybe you'll vibe on this maybe you. that's won't. true if you don't then uh i'm sure you're still not listening to this because you've probably turned it off and gone about your day so. and um
0: <laughs> if we have any olympians listening let us know how your uh, attempt at fucking on the cardboard goes. <laughs> we'd like to hear i'm sure that that's i'm sure that athletes don't listen to modern guilt they probably listen to like really motivational stuff but anyway uh, let's call it see you later guys thanks for listening peace